back to Life North of the 54th. I'm Garrett Brown. And I'm Preston Brown. Thank you for joining us on our show. And today we have joining us as well, John Strong. We'll have him introduce himself a little bit. Hey, perfect. Nice to be here, guys. I'm John Strong. I currently live in Wetaskiwin, but I formerly live in Grand Prairie in the Peace Country and a father of four and work in healthcare and coach volleyball. Thank you, John. Thanks for joining us this wonderful day. Yeah, it's really great to catch up with you. It's been a long time since I've seen you, John. Yeah, it has been a few years for sure. So, John, do you want to tell us, I guess, where you grew up and how you ended up in the peace country? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, so I was born in Toronto. Uh, my family immigrated from England, but I was born in Canada. Uh, my siblings, a uh, few were born in Canada, a few were born in England. When I was four, my dad took a job out west, so we ended up in Alberta. I grew up most of my youth years in Edson, Alberta, so not super far from the peace country, but uh, same type of country. Then I went to university, and when I graduated university, I had two job offers, one in uh, Grand Prairie and one in Lethbridge. And when I pondered out um, which one fit my personality and lifestyle and the, the forests and the trees and everything, Grand Prairie was the winner. And so um, I graduated university in 2002 and headed north to Grand Prairie. Pretty exciting. So what did you uh, study in university that would take you to Grand Prairie? Uh, I graduated with a degree in physical education, uh, specializing in sports performance, but I'd been working previous to that as a trainer with sports teams, and I had a job offer in Grand Prairie working at uh, Lifemark Health, which is in 214 place there, and uh, it was a physio clinic as an exercise therapist. And so I thought it was a great opportunity for me to get more experience and use the skills that I'd studied in school and that I'd been working with sports teams and come up and uh, work there and help people get back to good health. What year did you move to Grand Prairie then? We moved there in the summer of 2002. Had you been to Grand Prairie before you'd moved there for work? I had actually. I'd I'd visited Grand Prairie several times when I was in high school. I'd played uh, volleyball in Grand Prairie. I was a little smaller when I was in high school than when we moved up there, but uh, I'd been there. I liked the city. I had some friends that were uh, from there that I played volleyball with and volleyball against. And so I'd been there a number of times and I'd actually dated a girl from Grand Prairie when I was in my early, I guess, late teens and 18, 19 type thing. And uh, she spoke highly of it. I went up there and visited her family a couple of times and liked it up there. And so that that's part of the reason it appealed to me, not just the job. The jobs were very similar between Lethbridge and Grand Prairie, but I'd been up there and I'd liked it. And so that was part of the win. Was your family still living in Edson at the time? No, actually, uh, when I was in university, my, my parents retired. Uh, sold their home and they moved uh, into Edmonton. And so my siblings and my parents lived at Edmonton at the time, but I just, I'm not a big city guy and Edmonton or Calgary weren't appealing to me. Uh, I didn't want to live. I mean, I loved my time in university and I loved living in the city for that purpose, but I knew I'd want to start a family. and, And I had kids actually when I graduated university and I just wanted a smaller city feel. So we left the big city. I would definitely say Grand Prairie is not a small town, but it's no metropolis either. Yeah, it was kind of that good mix between, you know, Edson obviously being, it was about 6,000, I believe, uh, when I lived there. And so it was definitely that smaller town feel. Um, I wasn't quite ready to go that small again. Grand Prairie was that happy medium between the big city and all the services, but still surrounded by farm and forest. And you kind of still know people and it, and it, yeah, I didn't. I, it wasn't as busy. I could drive to work in five minutes instead of an hour and those type of things. So it, it had lots to draw us up there. 
So when you moved up there, you talk about the forest. Did you have types of recreational activities you greatly enjoyed participating in? Yeah. And so it's funny because I don't do so many of them anymore. But uh, at the time, I mean, growing up in Edson, I loved fishing, hiking. Um, those were probably the biggest two. I, I do enjoy skiing, mountain biking, those type of things. And so uh, I think hiking was what's kind of stayed with me the most when I moved up to Grand Prairie. Um, I didn't do as much fishing as I, as I thought I would up there, but I did do a lot of just going out, driving out between, especially between Grand Prairie and Grand Cache and, and going hiking. That's the kind of thing I like to just do for my peace, right? Just finding some forest and, and going out and being in it. Um, love camping, of course. And, and I mean, camping, camping, like backcountry camping. Although now yeah. I'm old, so I don't do it that much anymore. I have a... <laughs> you know, the RV now that we camp in, but same idea. Like, and those hobbies stayed with me throughout my time in Grand Prairie and I still enjoy them. Yeah. I remember when you were living in Grand Prairie that you were uh, our youth leader mm -hmm. and I still reflect quite a bit on the hike you took us on from Cadman Caves to Mayan Hot Springs. It was quite the hike. Yeah. I love that hike. I did it as a youth. I did it several times in my youth. And although it's not the most famous hike, uh, the Fiddle Pass is a lesser known uh, hiking trail compared to some other ones that people like to do, like Skyline or Mount Robson or those type of things. But uh, just something drew me to it when I was a youth. And I've taken actually seven groups of youth there over the years. Yeah, I just, we went on a lot of camps when we were out there, but that was probably one of my favorite too, just being out there in the backcountry and no one around and just a group of guys to enjoy nature and you know there's always some goods and bads to your hikes and um you know there's there's a few stories yeah. that i've got from that hike specifically that i actually still share with some youth so both of steven mackis and, and yeah me. yeah <laughs> i mean uh steven and his socks i talk about quite frequently and, uh, i talk about the world's best outhouse from that trip that yep. is beautiful that half latrine that, that overlooks uh, the mountains and the river there and just some of the things we talked about and you know i had great experiences with all the youth that that i that i was with in grand prairie but those browns they just have a special place in my heart right um we had some good times thanks i share stories of travis every now and then with with people and his kind of willingness to help others on that hike you know not everybody was quite as prepared yeah and i've shared the story about losing the trail a couple times with people after that because i've i mean again i've been on that hike many times but lost the trail for a bit there and then came across some bear scat and realized it was a good thing we'd lost the trail because it was nice and fresh and that maybe it was a bit of intervention there keeping us safe but yeah i've shared lots of stories from the great hikes we've been on up there yeah but those aren't the only hikes that we've been on even when you were no longer officially our youth leader we went both to mount robson together and to chief mountain down in montana yeah big chief was a fun one too yeah we uh i was a uh, hurting on my knee on that one so that was a little tougher for me i was uh, getting older when you guys went there but i remember going down in your dad's truck together and uh bringing my brother-in-law along and <laughs> crossing the border with you guys and, and yeah. it was your uncle that met us there right yep yes yeah. uh, climb big chief yeah i actually went back to chief mountain last summer to hike with my wife and sister-in-laws and man that mountain has fallen apart even more we didn't make it to the summit because we're just like you know this is this looks too dangerous to go yeah there was definitely a scramble there at the top i know with my knee i wasn't able to do the scramble then um, but my knees since healed i might if it was the exact same situation you could probably finish it today but if it's worse then uh, probably not but yeah it was a just good times it's just something about being in nature that just and being in nature with friends that just brings uh, a different peace than being in the big city and 
not that we didn't have fun doing things like paintball and, and other stuff we did do, but yeah, I love those hikes. Yeah, the Chief Mountain hike in particular, the most memorable moment was getting to the hiker's summit and not going to the actual summit because the mountain was crumbling. You get to this point where you're on a precipice that you have like a one or two foot gap to the other side. And in any like normal everyday circumstances, you would just literally just step across it. No problem. Just without even thinking you just step across this gap. But then you look at the gap and on the right, you have a hundred foot drop. And on the left, you have a 500 foot drop. And you're just like, I don't know. Maybe not today. I could probably just step across it, but I, I don't know if I'm willing to just try that right now. And just like looking down and just like, yeah, it's like, no, I don't. Nope. Nope. I'm just going to stay here and say I've hiked it and go back safely. Yeah. There's those moments. Yeah. And I, know, I remember Robson, it rained on us a lot. So we had great weather all the way up yep. and then it just poured. And so I remember the way down was really fast. I think we were out of there in like three, four hours. <laughs> two days up and yeah and you hiked out in your pajamas yeah i did yeah i do remember stopping for uh a lot of the cheeseburgers with you guys at the mcdonald's and <laughs> hinton there when we came out of the that must have been the cataman one though but i remember we ordered uh 60 or so cheeseburgers at the mcdonald's and they looked at us like we were crazy but yeah then we ate them well yeah there was you guys were never short on appetite back then i remember we still actually in our household refer to a large portion as a brown portion <laughs> especially when it comes to spaghetti or hot dogs yeah, i remember uh garrett you could polish away a lot of spaghetti back in the day i could it was yeah it took a long time for me to um well not eat so much anymore yeah well and, uh my second oldest taylor he he developed an appetite very similar at about the same age when you had that appetite and uh yeah we'd be like oh you're eating a garrett portion or you're eating a brown portion and but he's uh Done growing and uh, settled into a normal appetite too. But yeah, I still remember that McDonald's and the poor girl that was behind the, the desk there and at the counter when we walked up and ordered all those cheeseburgers and she looked at us like we were crazy. I think there were only 10 of us. I I think. Yeah, I think it was about eight, eight to 10, I, you know. Uh, yeah, there would have been, yeah, there would have been like nine, yeah. 50, 60 cheeseburgers, but, yeah. Good times. When I remember on the way back from hiking uh, Big Chief there, we had cheese in the vehicle. And we weren't sure if we could take it across the border. So I remember pulling over on the side of the road and getting rid of the cheese out of the truck so we wouldn't get in trouble at the border. So, <laughs> Yeah. On the way down when I was going to school in Utah, I bought a sandwich from the supermarket or something. And they asked if I had any like vegetables or produce that I was bringing across. And I said yes, because I had it on the sandwich. They told me to pull ahead and like go inside and talk to like the agricultural guy. <laughs> and so I'm like standing inside this border crossing for like 20 minutes. And then finally somebody's like, excuse me, sir, like, are you here for something? And I told them I was supposed to meet with the agricultural person because I had lettuce. And they're like, what do you mean? And it's like, I had lettuce on my sandwich. And because I have U.S. citizenship, he stops looking at me and he turns to the other border patrol officer and he says, this is what plagues our citizen sandwiches. <laughs> and, and he's like, you can go. It's like, you can go. <laughs> You never know what's going to happen. I think part of the crossing down with your brother-in-law there probably spooked us a little bit. Yeah, that was so funny. I remember him unrolling that window in the back there and them asking him if he was being held against his will (laughs) in the back seat there. So it was my first time to crossing with people that weren't, you know, my children. Yeah. And we weren't sure, you know, we didn't want that extra trouble. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Those are some really fond memories that I have. Me too. So, John, where did life take you out of Grand Prairie? What ended up making you move from the peace country? Yeah, that's a good question. We actually, it was, we loved it in Grand Prairie. And I, and I think uh, had life 
been different, we would have stayed up there probably permanently. Probably my favorite place I've ever lived. Had a job we loved, had all the things we loved, loved, had great friends and everything up there. But unfortunately for, uh, at that time, both my dad and my wife's dad were terminally ill and um, just, it was time to, to move and to be near family. And um, my wife's the oldest of six and there were still kids at home and it was just time to do family things. And sometimes, well, often family things should trump and they did trump and it was, so we packed up and moved out of Grand Prairie and moved down to Wetaskiwin and we, we stated at the time it was going to be a one or two year deal. When year two came, uh, myself and my wife sat down and we discussed and said, yeah, we're going to move back to Grand Prairie. And as we thought about it, it just didn't feel right that we weren't supposed to go back. And we were sad about that, but we've stayed here. So we've been in Wetaskiwin now for, well, since 2007. And so uh, we're like 15, 16 years now that we've been here. And it seems crazy because, again, it was going to be a one or two year deal. And our our intention when we left peace country was to move right back. As soon as the family was stable, uh, we were going to come back up there. Uh, life didn't go that way. And so we visit, but we haven't moved back up there. And it doesn't look like that's in the books anytime soon. And Grand Prairie has changed a lot since we moved away 15, 16 years ago. So I'm not sure we would recognize it. We don't recognize it when we go back to visit. It's just still growing so fast. And uh, I'm sure we'd still love it there, but uh, it's definitely changing. So, yeah. Did you make it to any other areas of the peace country that you enjoyed to visit while you're up there? Or did you work in any other areas? Oh, yeah. Because of my job, I actually traveled around and visited work sites all over the peace region. And so I made it up into northern BC frequently. I mean, it was very common for me to go to Dawson Creek or, or Fort St. John, but I made it further than that. But I made it up to Rainbow Lake and high level and made it, I mean, Peace River, I loved the Peace River area. It was beautiful. The Dunvegan area there, um, stunning. But yeah, I pretty much made it all over the Peace uh, region there. I'm, I'm not sure I visited every town, but I would say probably 80 to 90% of them, I was in the area at least a couple times a year for work. And so I had a pretty good view over the five years I was there of all the areas that are in the Peace region. So and say so I've never made it to Rainbow Lake. That's out there. <laughs> it's out there. Yeah, it was definitely it was definitely one of my longest drives um, I made. But um, yeah, no, it was. I, I remember I went up right in the peak of summer uh, to high level, and it was pretty close to uh, you know summer summer solstice. And we had the I don't know remember how many I, I you know I can't say exactly how many hours of darkness we had, but it wasn't a whole lot. And it was kind of my first experience. I've since been up to Yellowknife in the summer, but at that time that was the farthest north I'd ever been. Uh, high level and so it was a little bit unique just to see the difference even between grand prairie and high level how much longer it stayed light but beautiful country i don't think there was any part of the peace country that i didn't find beautiful Um, i love forests again so that fits i love hills and mountains and, and that type of thing and so the peace country was well it was peaceful i mean it sounds kind of corny to say that but it fit me and uh, the type of um, hobbies I had, it fit the type of places I like to live and visit. So, Were you also a coach when you were up in Grand Prairie? Yeah. I mean, I, I've coached since I was 19 years old. I've taken two years off in my whole time. And that was the time I went on my mission. So I've coached every year uh, since I was 19, except for those two. And I coached many athletes in Grand Prairie. I coached both volleyball and soccer up in Grand Prairie. I, I started my coaching career up there actually coaching in Beaver Lodge 
And so I coached uh, some Beaver Lodge volleyball on the boys' side. I coached that for two seasons. And then the college got hold of me and brought me into the soccer program. And so I coached many soccer teams, uh, including the college assistant with the college soccer soccer program there and uh, helped them run their club program. And so uh, I know at one point I had five teams at once that I was coaching. And so I think my estimate when we moved that I had coached somewhere near 400 athletes in the peace country in the five years we'd been there. So it was this huge amount of athletes that I'd worked with on uh, different teams. And it's kind of still one of my connections. I mean, I really have two connections from, from people there and and obviously one being the youth groups and the, and the church and the other one being my coaching. I still see athletes that I've coached. Uh, They're much older now. Um, It's been, you know, 20, 20 years for some of them. Uh, I've actually now, you know, refereed or coached against some of their children. And so I see them coming down and the athletes I coach now, I've played against many of their children. Um, and so the Grand Prairie volleyball teams that come down, uh, yeah, I see, I see these athletes visit with them and then uh, coach against them, against their kids. Uh, I've coached against some of the uh, the players I've coached up there as well. Uh, and obviously against some of the, the coaches I coached with. But I, I just loved the drive of the athletes up there. I, and I got to work through the college with the elite athletes of the area that maybe weren't necessarily, I wasn't coaching them. I was just working with the Sport Development Center. I got to work with some of those athletes, you know, even out of Fort St. John or some of the speed skaters like Danny Morrison and stuff, just doing testing, you know, not coaching or anything. I don't know anything about speed skating uh, other than watching it on TV at the Olympics, but just it was a great experience to see the athletes up there and work with them. And, you know, and some of my soccer players, when I left Grand Prairie, actually traveled down and still played on my team here in the Leduc area. And so I had a season where I had players coming down still to play for me. And it was just a great experience. And we, we actually took some of them over to Sweden and played in the World Youth Cup. So, yeah, loved coaching up there. But it was busy. What is it that you love about coaching? I think there's always been a draw for me, I guess, obviously, since I've done it it's almost 30 years now, I've been coaching and there's just something about, I had a mix growing up. I guess if I back that question up, I had some excellent coaches growing up and I had some coaches that I saw damage other athletes, um, not necessarily myself. And I, and I knew the difference between what a good coach could do and what a bad coach could do. And I just had a desire to, pass on my love of the sport. Uh, so for volleyball and soccer, like, I mean, I love those sports, but also to help make people better and build them up. And my coaching's always been more about the person than just the sport and trying to make them feel like they matter and, and trying to teach them how to be a better person. So the, their behaviors and attitudes also, not just the sport itself. And I love being a development coach. I've coached some high level where it's very competitive and and I enjoy that, but I prefer coaching kind of the mid age and teaching people those fundamental skills and making sure that when they move to competitive, that they've got the skills necessary to do it. So I tend to gravitate over and over again into that kind of same age groups and just help building skill and and the situation here in Wetaskiwin, there just aren't a lot of coaches. In the Peace Region, there was a lot. I worked with a lot of good coaches up there uh, who worked with me or even mentored me in some ways. And here, that's kind of the role I have to take on because there aren't a lot of those competitive or well-trained coaches. And so the, the lessons I learned working up there, I now use to help younger coaches here. 
but I just love making a difference. And you don't always win every game, but you, you come home with some great memories. And we didn't always have a great hike, but we did. The memories are there, right? Like it wasn't always good weather. And it's the same in sport. We don't always win. You know, we won some provincial championships up there, but I, I don't think I could tell you how many games we won here or there, but I can tell you which athletes made a difference in my life. And, you know, I hope that that's not some of them. We made a difference in their life. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. As a high school basketball player, I had a different coach every year, just the way it worked out. And so I got to see different coaching styles. Yeah, some of them I appreciated more than others. Some coaches, they seem to be, their their philosophy for basketball seemed to be, if you can outrun the other team, even if you can't play well, you can make them so tired that you can finally win. <laughs> that was, Those are hard practices because then you have to be the team that can run and run and run and run and run. Yeah, and I get that. My high school volleyball coach, he, I, you know, I would put him as one of my my strongest technical coaches that I ever had. Uh, but his whole theory was, if we can do it when we're tired, we can do it in a game. And yeah. so the whole theory behind practice was we were going to get tired first, and then we were going to do our basic skills. And and so I mean, there's things from that I've used over the years, but I definitely take a different approach um, <laughs> to training than, than that. But you know, he was a great technical coach, but. They were hard practices um, and maybe sometimes what we call bucket practices, right? Where, you know, it's uh, someone's using the bucket and then maybe they weren't the <laughs> the model we still use for, for coaching. Standards have changed in what, what we consider to be maybe more ethical or proper practice now than the, the coaching that was done, you know, 30 years ago. But, you know, I won't remark on strategies like it seemed to work. We were a winning team. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely have good memories from a lot of my coaches growing up in high school, and they're adults who influenced me in high school. I remember coaches the most, probably, especially when they're good and they help you develop just to be a better individual, not just better at what you're practicing to be better at. Yeah, yeah, and you're always going to find that mix. I mean, you know, I had some coaches that were probably, you know, as the world would view as successful coaches, like we won you know, more games than we lost, but there was never any um, kind of attachment to them or no relationship with them. And then there's others who could, could teach me more than just winning the sport, right? And and I remember them and I and I still talk with, with many of them. Well, I guess two of them, I still talk with them. One of my, I guess, pinnacle volleyball moments was actually coaching against my high school coach. Um, that was kind of a, an, a I guess, a, a fun moment for me when, when I took a, one of my teams against one of his teams. And it was kind of a good coaching moment where I'm at the level where I'm coaching against him now. And, and I, it was a pretty fun moment for me. Sounds like a Hollywood film. Yeah, almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, we, we, we didn't win, so it wouldn't make a great movie, but um, you know, <laughs> it was good though. I mean, I had a coach in high school who was my soccer coach and, you know, I'm not sure he taught me anything about playing soccer that I didn't already know. I can't pinpoint a single skill that he taught me that led me into my soccer career. But I can tell you uh, all the support that he gave me and the help he gave me and the, what he taught me about being a good coach and what he taught me about being a good athlete. And and that's what mattered more to me. And so, yeah, it's good to have those memories. And yeah, I don't remember my high school teachers a whole lot, but I sure remember that one coach that made a big difference in my life. For me, I find the things that I learned from my coaches uh, in basketball compared to my track and field coach is like in part because track and field is so different from 
basketball. I think those are sort of the things I learned. Like as a basketball player, I definitely learned that you're much better as a team than you are as an individual. Like sure, you could be a, a great player, but there were some teams that I played on that we had sort of a prima donna on the team. He just, he always had to have the ball. He always had to be the one to win. And it didn't make for great playing because he was frustrated when he didn't have the ball and he was frustrated when he couldn't score when he had the ball. Yeah. And so I learned, you know, to like, like if, even if I wanted to have the ball in the moment, it was better to, to share and like make space for someone else too. And compared to track and field where my coach taught me that all of the athleticism that I had as a basketball player could be focused and, and channeled and leveled up in, in some ways through a lot of mental focus. That's like, sure, the, the raw athleticism was there. But if I learned to better understand the like the body control, then I could jump higher or farther or run faster. And it was also a, a very different kind of experience to learn for athleticism for me. So, John, when you moved from Grand Prairie to Wetaskiwin, did you have career changes as well from what you were doing? Yeah, and it, that was probably one of the toughest things about the move. I'm not just missing the countryside is my my job when we left Grand Prairie was was with the college and so I worked in the the phys ed department there doing some corporate wellness and, and coaching that's basically what my job was and I taught a couple of the the labs in the kinesiology department but that obviously doesn't exist there's no college in in Wetaskiwin you know I considered you know um, as we moved here to be near family that perhaps I would make the commute up into the city each day and I could find a similar job. And as we pondered that, it just didn't, just didn't fit. Uh, and so we found, I found a job initially working at a small college, just a community, a college helping students finish their, um, there'd be students who had dropped out of high school. A lot of them had gang issues or, or teen pregnancies and those type of things. And now we're in their usually late twenties, early thirties and wanted to complete their high school and they'll get their GED or go into trades. And so I taught them math and science and helped them pass their GED and, or pass their trades exam. So it kind of, it felt a little bit like what I was doing before, but in the end, I decided a complete career change was was in the books. And so I'm now the executive director of the Health Foundation in Wetaskiwin. And so I work in healthcare. Uh, it's still healthcare adjacent, but my job is to uh, raise money um, for healthcare needs in my community. And I, so I do that for actually Wetaskiwin, Old Sundry, and Rimby, so four hospitals. Um, so completely different than anything I was doing in Grand Prairie. And if you'd asked me when I was in Grand Prairie if I would have ever considered this job, I would have told you no way. I'm introverted for the most part, um, other than coaching. That's kind of my outlet where I'm extroverted. And I thought, you know, asking people for money or raising money, not my thing at all. But because of my, I guess, history in my life, um, you know, with some illnesses in my family, and then I had a long illness once we moved here to Wetaskiwin, it just made sense. And I'm passionate about healthcare. And so it's not necessarily, I don't view my job as I'm a fundraiser. I'm directing an organization that gives people the opportunity to invest in healthcare. And I'm passionate about healthcare. And so it's been a great fit for me. I've been there almost nine years now and um, I love it. I The challenge for me is if I was to leave, I don't know whether I'd go back to the field I was in before or if I would continue in the field I've grown to love because now they're they're so opposite that I don't know where I would fit um, in the day that if I ever chose to to leave my position. It's been an interesting path. I mean, I don't use my degree. 
other than I'm required to have a degree in my position, but I don't <laughs> use my phys ed degree at all. But I, I, I coach in the local volleyball club. I coach at the high school and I use it with those athletes. So that's fulfilling my passion there. But yeah, I don't use it at work other than I know what they're talking about when they say something. I'm like, oh yeah, I worked in a clinic. I, I know what those words are, right? Um, but it's been an interesting <laughs> career move for me. But um, life takes you in different directions. And, uh, you know, I always believe everything's for a reason. And, and you know, we moved for a reason. We felt it was right. Uh, I changed careers for a reason. I felt it was right. And um, it's been good for my family. So would you be willing to share a little bit about your experience with ill health that you had? Yeah. So it's a long story, but I'll try and give you the uh, fits in one podcast version of it. <laughs> we had returned from actually a volleyball trip. I, I took a volleyball team to Hawaii, um, returned from that trip and then fell suddenly ill. Just woke up one night, just feeling extremely sick. You know, I was having not chest pains, but having cardiac issues, I guess is the best way to put it. My heart was racing and we couldn't settle down, but, um, you know, went to the hospital, wasn't, wasn't a heart attack or anything like that, but they couldn't really figure out why my body was all of a sudden struggling so much. Lost 60 pounds in two months and lost the ability to even basically walk to the bathroom without help. And, uh, they ran test after test for many months never did uh, at that point find anything every test came back negative you know i uh, was really sick for about a year uh at the year mark my body kind of settled went into physio got help getting the strength to walk again you know all the things that i hadn't been able to do rebuilt up that strength but continued to undergo testing continued to have cardiac issues on a on a regular basis but just tachycardic episodes um, no heart attacks, anything like that, but they couldn't explain why they were happening and, and I could feel them coming on. I knew I was about to have one and, and they were just happening. And so for three years, actually, we we did uh, we went through tests and eventually the doctor said, well, you're kind of recovered now. You can go back to work. I'd been off work for three years and and but still didn't know uh, what was going on. Uh, it was actually at the six year mark that they found a tumor on the backside of my gallbladder and liver that was removed. And I haven't had an episode since. And so, but why we couldn't find that or why that wasn't there before, I don't know. Um, so, but yeah, three years of serious illness, one year of super serious illness. We were at the point where the doctors and, and our family thought that I wouldn't make it through, but going through the health system with that, with an unknown all, the waiting and all the lack of services and the having to drive hours to get to see a specialist made me so passionate about what I do today and, and providing healthcare in my community. And, you know, I'm grateful that I'm on the other side of that. Yeah. You know, there are still some effects because it was so long. Their best guess at the time was that I'd caught some sort of weird virus when I was in Hawaii. And that, that was what had made me sick. But I guess we've since learned that that wasn't necessarily the case uh, or else I wouldn't have got instantly better when that tumor came out. So, but it was, you know, not necessarily a large tumor. It wasn't something that they would have even flagged at that point. And thanks. Thank you. I remember at the time visiting you during the period of illness that you had. Yeah. I'm glad to know that you're doing much better. Yeah, me too. You know, I actually ran a half marathon last year. So 
and my goal is in next next year I'm um, trying to get a full marathon and I've got some work to do before I'm bold enough to to pull that difference in distance but um, you know I've come a long way and persevered and, and had a lot of help along the way to get me back into we'll say reasonable health <laughs> yeah thanks for sharing that personal story not a problem yes so it's great to hear people overcoming challenges that come upon them and it's a story that doesn't develop overnight no for sure like you know really if i if i look back it's easy to look back now and kind of say well this this and that but really yeah it was probably the biggest test of my resolve faith whatever you want to all the words you want to throw into their determination uh, um, because it was I'm not a patient person. Um, and so learning to be patient and just kind of take one little step at a time is hard. We want, we want the end. We've, you know, we want that end result or we want to know what's going on and it's tough not to. And so, you know, it was a good learning experience for me. Although at the time I wouldn't have agreed with that. I would have said, you know, I would have gladly traded it in, but uh, it's taught me a lot. Yeah, I definitely like what you said about having that challenge or vicissitude in your life and overcoming it has helped you be able to have more passion for the work that you do now to help others that may be in similar or parallel circumstances in healthcare. And that you know you've been around health and physical well-being most of your life. So it gives you a plethora of experiences of different kinds to really assist you in what you do today. Yeah, and I think one of the most, it doesn't matter what field you're in, I think, but if you take the lessons you've learned in life and can apply them to being loving what you do and having some purpose in what you do, uh, to me, that makes all the difference. And, you know, in my job, I get to see, sometimes it takes a while, but I get to see those those things that we've made a difference. And that's one of the reasons I love my job, but, but I love being able to take, you know, what I've learned and turn it into something positive, take a negative situation and turn it into something that can change things for the better and help other people not go through that same situation. I know one of the questions you had, about weather and that, I remember that one of my memories in Grand Prairie was the tornado. I was uh, at home, so like out on the acreage, so I wasn't in town when it happened, but Travis, our brother, was in town working. He was pretty close to it. Yeah, so I was sitting in my office at 214 Place looking uh, northeast, and I could see power lines coming down, and I could see the swirl. It would have been probably at around the mall, um, kind of at that point. I could see, I was trying to figure out, like, it looked like a dust devil at the time, and I was like, well, that's picking up some speed, and it's picking up. Uh, and it went right by my office window through the parking lot right next to the building, and uh, flipped it well, damaged and flipped a couple of the cars that were near mine in the parking lot. But I just remember sitting at the window going, what the heck is that coming toward me? Like, this is Grand Prairie. We're not, we're not Southern States here or Southern Alberta. And then it just got bigger and bigger. And by the time it had passed uh 214 place, it was fairly sizable by that point. But I just remember seeing it come, coming across basically from the mall towards 214 place getting bigger and bigger as it came. And I was like, I would have never thought in a million years living in Grand Prairie that I would see a tornado basically, you know, 20, 30 feet from my office window. And that's great. That's terrifying because uh, those are big glass windows. Yeah. And I mean, not, not, not very, not very tornado friendly. Well, no. And we did learn uh, not all of our staff were trained properly in emergency situations. You know, our first priority was to get to obviously our clientele away from the windows and some of our staff, um, Went running, screaming 
thinking they were going to die uh, running for the stairwells. I mean, obviously there's a very secure stairwells at 214 place and that's where basically people were moved to, but yeah, it was an interesting experience. You, you, you never know what you're prepared for. And it was my first experience with a natural disaster, so to speak. I mean, I wouldn't put it in the category as many of the natural disasters that happen in the world, but yeah, you just don't know how you're going to react. And your, your office is all windows and you're like, ah, what's going to happen when this thing gets next to this building? So obviously you just get away from the window and see what happens. I remember hearing about their channel. I remember Travis coming home and reporting about it and seeing articles in a local paper and stuff. <laughs> it's about all I remember from that day. Yeah. As it was well, at past 214 place, it started heading towards mission. And, and at that time we lived in mission Heights. And so I was like, Oh, I better phone my wife and tell her to get in the basement. Cause it was getting much bigger. And it basically took some shingles off and a little bit of thing as it went through about a block. Uh, over didn't go right through our street and it was kind of more show than the actual damage it was probably causing i you know it damaged a few things along the way but yeah i was like never thought i'd make that phone call either phone home and tell them to get in the basement but uh yeah it was an interesting experience and my wife has shared a few her experiences because she grew up in tornado alley and in the in the midwest and yeah i think those would be scary her siblings would run to the window when the sky started turning green because they really wanted to see a tornado because they were just so commonplace that it wasn't so... I mean, sure, it's terrifying. And it did millions of damage all the time, like every year. But that doesn't stop little kids from being excited for a storm. Well, and they're so fascinating. Like, that's the thing. Like, we were even... Well, once it had passed, we were all at the window watching. It was just so fascinating to watch it. Not the safest thing to do, but yeah, it's hard not to be fascinated by this thing. So, John, how have your feelings for the peace country changed over the years. You've had a lot of different interactions with it, like you're saying, from being in Edson to living there and moving away. So it sort of went from aspirational to reminiscing. Yeah, it's it's that's a very interesting question because I think part of us, even though really in the grand reality of now my life, we didn't live there all that long. You know, in my young days, it, it made up, you know, most of my adult life. But now as I've, you know, I'm getting closer to 50 it and really the five, six years we were there really doesn't add up to to that much of my life. But our feelings toward it is, is still, we just love it there. I actually uh, have to go to Grand Prairie this year for a volleyball tournament, and I'm so excited to, to take my girls that I've been coaching here for three years up there because most of them have never been there. And just not just to show them Grand Prairie, but just to have that kind of different experience. And uh, it'll be a good experience for us. But like as a married couple, that was our first home. Some of our kids were born in Grand Prairie. So it's always going to have a piece of our heart, right? We try and get up every couple of years, but we found the longer we've been away, the harder it is to get up as frequent. Uh, we used to go up every year when we first moved away and make sure we were up there. And But as friends have moved away and as, as things have changed and our lives have got busier and my kids have you know started to get married and move out uh, we just don't make it up there as much but i don't think it'll ever leave our hearts it'll always be part of our history it'll be part of what's made us who we are and you know there's still that attachment to that area thank you for sharing john absolutely yeah i feel like you have a different perspective of the area too because the majority of the people who move to the peace country for work do for the oil and gas industry or something that directly supports the oil and gas industry so your experience is quite a bit different than that. Yeah, and I would agree, obviously, like 
my life there was, was definitely different than, I mean, I had some attachment through my work at the college to uh, the oil and gas industry. I would do a lot of work with, you know, some of the companies like Trican and BJ Well Services and, and you know, Slumberger and, and Weatherford. And, and, and I don't even know if they're all around anymore, but so I would frequently be in an oil field shop uh, somewhere, but my job directly wasn't in the oil field but it kept me busy. Um, and the boom was obviously happening. So the Grand Prairie was changing because of that oil field base. And so life around us was changing because of that, but not necessarily life at home changing because of that. And so, yeah, we would have had a definitely a different lifestyle in the Peace region than perhaps many. And what drew us there uh, was not necessarily, it, it was work, but it wasn't necessarily uh, the same work that draws most people there. Do you have any uh, words of wisdom that you'd like to share with our listeners? Words of wisdom. Yeah, I don't necessarily, I, I always viewed my dad as the wise one. I'm not sure I would count myself as wise, <laughs> but, um, you know, one of the things we learned while we were up there, because life didn't necessarily go as planned, um, you know, moving up there, I, I graduated university and I, I had my five-year plan. We're going to move up here and this is how life's going to go. And, uh, you know, as you know, uh, I had a wife and a daughter pass away during our time in Grand Prairie. Life didn't go even close to the plan uh, I had made before I went up there. But I learned from it and I still loved my time up there. And even though there's, there's tragedy in my time there and, you know, one of the reasons we go there is to see, see my daughter who, you know, that's where her grave is. But despite the negativity that could have made that experience, could have made me hate the region, although the region had nothing to do with those, those passings, opening ourselves up to what life could bring us, good and bad, and the people, we made lifelong friends there. But the experiences and learning from those and just being willing to try and take from a negative and say, what can I learn from this? How can I be a better person? Uh, from these experiences and it just made everything different so just be open to wherever you are uh, i mean i'd sell you a home in grand prairie any day go up there the peace region's awesome but be willing to go and do what life takes you and gives you and, and turn it into something amazing we wouldn't trade our time all the experiences included all those experiences we had up there have made us better people and the good ones and the bad ones all put it together and it's who what's made us who we are and i wouldn't trade it thank you that sounds wise to me <laughs> all right yes everybody in their life who lives usually goes through tragic things but it's what we do with difficult things that can help us become a better person or not <laughs> so we appreciate your wisdom there yeah there's definitely no uh, escaping life as far as um, I think all of us will experience, you're right, all of us will experience some sort of tragedy in our, our lifetime or just difficult times. It may not always be a, a tragedy either, it's just um, hard times. And I think I learned early, especially in my time, I was very young when I was up in Grand Prairie and went through some of those times that um, I, had two, I had two choices. I could either wallow in it or I could pick myself up and learn from it and it was hard but i could pick it up and move it and that's it was almost a choice i just decided that i was going to take that approach and go with it and it wasn't easy but came out the other end with bumps and bruises for sure but uh 
you know, came out the other end having not necessarily figured out all the whys. Tragedy was important or necessary or however you want to look at it, but figuring out how it could make me stronger. Yeah, I think trying to live life in a way that avoids pain or tragedy, you can't. You can't live life avoiding pain. It is going to come. I guess as as the Buddhist way goes, like that life is suffering. <laughs> suffering exists and you can't avoid it. You just have to live with it. Yeah, I think one of the quotes that, and it was much, it was later, uh, it wasn't in my time in peace country, but I was I was reading through, it was actually when I was officiating at a funeral in, in another person's unfortunate, tragic situation. They lost a young son and, and I was officiating and helping that family through that experience where I I'd come across a quote from Neil A. Maxwell, actually, that talked about, you know, it talked about death specifically, but I applied it broader than that. And it talked about the only way to take the, the sadness out of mourning is to take love out of life. Yeah. And, it, and it's very true, right? The only way we can take tragedy out of life would be to take all the good out with it. And the reason they're hard for us to get through those is because of all the good things. And because we love people or because of the good, you know, the peace or all those situations. And it changed my perspective. And I think one of the greatest lessons I learned going through, you know, if you throw the illness and all the other things together was just empathy. I'm not sure I would say I was empathetic or or not empathetic before that. I, I don't know that that would have been a quality I possessed. I wasn't mean or, you know, but I can now, you know, see someone else and just, feel for them you know that and and just understand that without judgment just say you know that must be hard for them and maybe there's something i can do to help them that's a really powerful quality and i want to also re-emphasize what you're saying that life is much better when you focus on creating things that you love whether that's like relationships that you love with with other people whether that's just a friendship or family relationships but that, yeah, it might hurt more later when the relationship ends, when something stops or when you can no longer do something because of health reasons or whatever it is. Yeah, it hurts. But I think from my experience in life that it's better to try for it, to have it. It's better to work to build those things because it's possible, even though it hurts, it's possible to go through it. And since pain is going to come into life anyway, if you keep building those relationships, then when you're struggling, you have other people that you can rely on to help you. If you are avoiding everything so much that you don't have relationships, then yeah, you'll be suffering alone. And that's much harder. You know, when I suffered, I mean, suffered's the wrong word. Let me rephrase that. When I experienced my first major loss, when my wife, or, or and, and I'll say and, because there was a short enough period in between them that I hadn't necessarily fully finished mourning, I guess, between the two. But my first take was, you know, this would just be easier if I just didn't love people. Like if I didn't let anybody in, uh, this would be easier. I wouldn't be hurt like this again. And I think that's a very human reaction to guard or, or protect ourselves. And I didn't set about doing that, but that was the kind of that natural reaction that, you know, it'd be easier if I just didn't build these, you know, if I, if we keep a distance, I won't get hurt like this. This is devastating. Uh, we don't want this. And I kind of weighed that out of my mind, but look at all the joy it brought me. And if this happened again, okay but i would never trade what i had before it happened to not have experienced it and i remember talking i don't even remember who it was but it was you know someone i just met and they were they, they'd had a similar experience uh, losing a spouse and and they were talking to me about 
you know, they had wished it never happened and this and this and this. And if they'd never met their spouse, they would have never gone through this. And if only their life could have been different. And I kind of thought, what a sad attitude. I didn't say that to the person, but I thought I would never trade what I went through. I would never trade those months or years that I had just to not have to go through it. I want all that. I wanted those positive experiences more than trading in with the negative on the other side of it. And so I think if we keep that perspective, it, it changes, you know, significantly. Yeah. Bad things are going to happen and, and yeah, there's going to be loss and hurt, but it's the joy and the, the goods far outweigh. And we would never trade those in. I definitely agree, John. Thank you so much for your words of wisdom. I guess I can be wise after all. And we appreciate your, your willingness to share some heavy conversation with us. Not a problem. You guys know all my heavy conversation anyway. So. so I think we'll probably wrap up now. Sure. Thank you, John, for joining us for this conversation, this episode. We're grateful to those who listen. And if anyone would like to share a story with us or share some feedback with us, they can email us at lifenorthofthe54th at gmail.com. Or you can go to peacecountrylife.ca slash feedback. John, we hope to see you around soon. It's been a number of years, but hopefully it doesn't have to be so many before we see you in person again. That would be great. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us, John, and sharing your experience of living in the peace country with us. It's been a pleasure. Take care. Bye.